From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast. And on the radio in Southern Colorado, 91.7 KLZR, voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. My name is Matt West. I am here to talk about cars, and hopefully you are here to listen to talk about cars, because that, that, that's what this is about. This is a show about cars, and I have some fun stuff in the works for you. Loaded show. I also have some cool news for Patreon subscribers. Uh, this is particularly exciting. So that is, uh, we'll, we'll get to that here in uh, one of the later segments of the show. But uh, that's uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. If you're on the Patreon, this is good news for you. And if you're not on the Patreon, this might be reason to get on it. So anyway, it's uh, that's a lot of fun. Now, we got a lot of things to talk about today. Uh, Ford says they will sell you uh, new tunes, tunes, not musical tunes, but as in, you know, uh, you know, tunes for your uh, your Ford Bronco, you know, performance tunes, fuel maps, all sorts of nerdy stuff. They will sell you some factory backed warranty backed tunes. Uh, and this could be really cool, especially if you own one of the four banger Broncos. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about why I think that four cylinder version is probably the best Bronco to get right now. Also, Ford has some weird opinions about pedestrians and pedestrian safety. So uh, we'll also touch on that. Two Ford stories today. Uh, we're going to talk about a 9,000 RPM Toyota Prius track car monster thing. It's 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 cool. It's cool. I, I had no idea you could turn a Prius into this, and you can, and uh, we should all do it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're also going to talk about a come and swapped Tesla that a prominent YouTuber is doing, but not so much the Tesla. We will hit more on how that relates to the RPM Act. So uh, this is um, this is something that is important for all of us. I've touched on the RPM Act uh, on the show before, and I'm going to go over it in some more depth today. How this relates to a come and swapped Tesla as well. Uh, that is um, that is of course all good stuff. And uh, we need more come and swap Teslas. You know, I, that's one thing we need. So, uh, and the RPM Act is going to protect that. Now, if you missed last week's show, well, you're you're missing out. Wait, come on, catch up with it. It's really good. You don't want to miss out. Last week's show, I had uh, Emmy Award-winning television producer and the director of the uh, last independent automaker, which is a documentary series about American Motors, one of my favorite car companies. And um, this is really cool. This documentary series is going to be uh, coming out on uh, PBS. It's going to be on television. It's going to be on streaming. And it's going to be cool. And uh, I had a one-on-one -on -one interview with myself and Joe Ligo last week. So if you missed out on that, well, you're, you're missing out. So go listen to it after this show. Go back one episode in your podcast feed, and you definitely want to listen to it. It's super cool. There's We go into all sorts of great history about American Motors, who they are, what they do, and uh, and that's all really cool. So um, anyway, um, one thing I want to get started with here, uh, before we talk about Ford and their new Bronco stuff, and the tunes for the new Broncos, um, this, is, this is funny. I, I like this. So <laughs> there was a guy, and... He, uh, a guy in the United Kingdom, and uh, the other day he decided to, uh, it was after work, he wanted to get a ride from work to uh, 
to one of the clubs to go uh, hit the bars, hit the pubs with a, with a couple of his buddies. So he did the, uh, the sensible thing, which is uh, getting an Uber for that. Now, I am not a big fan of taking Ubers. Every time I have had to take an Uber or a cab or a Lyft, any insert whatever rideshare brand you want, um, it's always been begrudgingly because, I mean, come on. I've got like six cars that sometimes run, and usually at least one of them is running enough to drive to work, to drive wherever. And uh, and so I, I, you know, I usually prefer driving myself. That's why I, you know, I'm a car guy. That's what I do. But that said, he made the sensible decision to take a cab uh, if he was going to go out do a night of drinking. I would do the same. Now, those who know me really well know I really don't drink. Um, that's not my scene. That's uh, you know, each to their own on that. But uh, but you know what? I support the idea that if you're going to go drinking. Don't be driving. Don't 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 drive uh, at all. And uh, that's what rideshare. That's what cabs. That's what Uber is for. So he did the right thing. But this is where it diverges <laughs> because his Uber was about 15 minutes. You know, the ride itself was about uh, in duration, 15 minutes. Uh, and it was four miles. He woke up the next morning and he, he noticed noticed a bill, uh, namely an overdraft charge on his account. He wakes up hungover, a hazy recollection of the night before, and he sees an Uber bill for 35,000 pounds, which breaks down to 37,000 uh, U.S. dollars in change and uh, 37 grand for an Uber ride. And he's probably thinking, man, how far did I drive in there? Where did I go? No, he only went four miles. And uh, so he, he, he calls up Uber and uh, says, uh, hey, something seems fishy. And they, they look at it and they go, yeah, you're right. Something was fishy. And uh, they had one of their engineering teams look at it who, uh, uh, who said that the issue, at least as far as they can tell, was that the town in the UK he was in also shared the name with another town in Australia. And for whatever reason, in the computerized brain of the system that Uber uses, it decided that he had driven in the span of 15 minutes from a town in Australia to a pub in the United Kingdom. And it calculated the fare based on the mileage for that. And not, not to mention that, you know, he drove across the ocean. Yeah. That makes a, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was uh, 30, uh, $37,000 to do that in case you're wanting to actually do that trip from Australia to the UK via Uber just so you know, it's about thirty-seven grand. Just be aware of that. If you if you decide this is what you want to do, I won't stop you. I I would recommend against doing it. Now, this made me think of some things. Now, Uber refunded him that money, um, or rather, canceled the charge. He said that he did not have thirty-five thousand British pounds in his account, um, so it was not going to take that out because it just wasn't there. Uh, but here's the thing, right? This brings me to the question of ride sharing. And, and and I know this is not a thing that you do. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. You know, I, uh, I, I like to think if you're listening to this show, you are uh, probably a car enthusiast. You're probably a fan of cars and uh, either you are drive or you just like cars, right? Um, some of my listeners are, are younger. They can't drive yet, but they listen because they love cars, which is also cool. They, they ride into the show. They're fantastic. Um, Dylan, by the way, uh, younger listener, and uh, he's super cool, loves the show as well. So uh, shout out to him. But that being said, um, with with this, imagine if you're one of those people living in the city and you're ride sharing everywhere you go. Um, and so 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 imagine this. You've got 
a uh, say ten dollars. We'll say it's ten bucks. I, I think what he paid was ten pounds, which would be eleven and some change U.S. dollars uh, for four miles. But let's make it simple. Let's say it's ten dollars for five miles. And then let's say you have a just I'm coming up with some arbitrary numbers for the sake of argument. Say you have a 10 mile commute every day. So it's five miles there, five miles back, five miles to work, five miles back. You're ride sharing. It's in the city or whatever. You know, that's why the distance isn't very far out here in Colorado. Your commute's usually we're in the kind of in, in a wider area. Your commute's usually going to be more than five miles. But again, let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. Um, so that's 10 miles a day, which $10 for five miles. That's going to be $20 to do that 10 miles every day. Multiply that by seven days a week, five days a week working, and say on Saturday, Sunday, you go to the bar to go hang out with some friends, and that's also five miles there and five miles back. So that comes out to $20 a day times seven days a week times four weeks in a month is $560 a month. That's like $6,700 a year, uh, $6,720. Uh, now let's say uh, that's uh, so that's that's basically seventy miles, right? Um, so that's seventy miles a week, five hundred and sixty dollars a month. Now imagine you're you've got a car that's seventy miles a week, and let's just assume you get twenty two miles to the gallon. And at that twenty two miles to the gallon, you're going to burn three point one gallons every week. See, I did the math here. I came prepared. Three point one gallons every week, and that's going to be at 375 a gallon arbitrary number that's just what i filled up at yesterday so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna use that number results may differ wherever you are but uh that's 11.62 per week 11 11 which breaks down to 46 dollars 48 a month wow that's a lot cheaper than 560 dollars a month but wait you do need a car to drive and now let's let's so so that's just the fuel cost um the average car payment Somewhere between four hundred and fifty and five hundred dollars a month, which is a lot of money. That's that's a that's the kind of the national average. There's a few different numbers when you look that up, but that's a good national average. And four hundred and fifty dollars a month is a nice car. Let me put it that way. That is not a beater car. That is that is not a car like any of mine, except maybe my Tacoma, my daily driver. That's nicer. Um not to mention I, I I I missed I messed up the clutch the other week, but hey, don't worry about it, right? Uh, but anyway, so that's a nicer car, okay? That's car. That's a car. It's going to have air conditioning. It's going to have uh, stereo. It's going to have power windows. You know, like car stuff that you want. Uh, so anyway, that four hundred, let's say four hundred and fifty a month, forty six dollars and forty eight cents a month in gas. You're at four hundred and ninety six dollars a month, which is sixty four dollars cheaper every month than if you were taking the Uber. Now, obviously, Uber rates vary depending on where you are. Like, if you look it up, you don't get, like, a, just a flat rate. They, they're going to vary. It might be a little cheaper here and there. might not be. I'm just kind of going off of the guideline that, you know, the, the basis of what this guy was paying for an Uber in the, in the you know, inner city, right? Um, and uh, so, anyway, that's $64 a month cheaper than the Uber. So, you're saving 64 bucks a month. But here's a crazy concept. This is mind-blowing, right? At the end of that, you have a car. You have an entire car. You can go take it wherever wherever else you want to go, um, and you can do that because that's just how much it's costing you to get to work and back, you know, seven days a week working back, then hanging out with friends on the weekend. Um, yeah, but, the, but, the, but see, but you have a car at the end of the day. So you want to plan a, uh, a week-long vacation. You want to go drive across country. Cool, you got a car. You could do that. Yeah, you, you want to 
You want to go uh, help a friend move some stuff? You got to, you want to go, you know, maybe you have some dogs. Maybe you got pets. You can put them inside that car and drive around and drive your pets with you. Amazing concept. I mean, like you could spend that money and have a car at the end of the day. That's what gets me with people who live in the really inner cities. And, and again, I know this isn't you. And even if you do live in a deep city, you have an appreciation for cars. But this, these are the people who live deep in the city and say, yeah, I, I don't I don't need a car. I don't want a car. I, why, why do I need a car? Now, granted, if you're walking to work, if you're cycling to work, I get it. I get it. That's cheaper no matter what. But this is for the people who and they're, they're, they are they exist. They ride share everywhere they go. Yeah, I don't need a car. I just ride share. What's the point? You know, uh, and, and yeah, sure, sure. I, I'm glossing over the fact that you do have maintenance on that car and that's an amount you should budget for. But generally speaking, on a nice newer car, uh, you know, an average used car, five to 10 years old, $450 a month car payment. On average, your maintenance isn't going to be that terrible. And if you buy something inherently reliable to begin with, you're not going to be forking out six grand for entire, you know, motor and transmission swaps because you grenaded it or doing whatever. That's not that's not as much of a concern. So, yeah, there there you go. Now, I that's also glossing over insurance and a few other things. I know we're doing this for the sake of argument. The point is, uh, relatively speaking, you can even with, say, insurance cost and all of that, you could ride share for the same price as you could buy a car. But if you buy the car, you also have a car. At the end of the ride sharing, you spend that 560 for the month. And, uh, well, you just you spent the money. Like, that's just how much it costs to get there. You have nothing left over to show for that. So, anyway, I hold my piece there. Uh, moral of the story, I'll say it here. You heard it here first. Get a car. Moral of the story. Get a car. <laughs> so, anyway, what sort of advice were you expecting from an automotive uh, podcast and radio show. What were you expecting me to say? What? Keep ride sharing? Of course not. No, no, that's not what this is about. So anyway, hey, speaking of uh, getting a car, if you are interested in getting a car, perhaps a new Ford Bronco, this is um, this is cool. I want to transition to this because um, Ford has said that they are going to start offering performance tunes for the Bronco. I like this because performance tunes for anything are, are cool. Uh, and uh, this is cool. But now specifically, they're offering factory-backed, warranty-backed performance tunes for the four-cylinder Bronco, not the six-cylinder one. Why the four-cylinder? Because the four-cylinder, it's a turbocharged four-cylinder. Gone are the days of, uh, you know, gone are the days of, oh, the four-cylinder's the economy option. Oh, I had to get it because I couldn't afford the V6 or the V8 Oh, I had to get it because I wanted the gas mileage. No, the four cylinders now are great. They make a lot of power. Turbos are fantastic, but it's also good for tunability, especially when you have a turbocharged engine, such as in the four cylinder Bronco, because when you're trying to make power naturally aspirated, it's expensive and you reach a point of diminishing returns. My my point with this is that if you were to, um, you know, so let me let me let me go back here. Let me start it by saying that this tune brings you 30 extra horsepower, uh, not a lot, but 60 pound-feet of torque, especially through the low RPMs, the mid-range. This is not a peaky high RPM motor um, like my, uh, say, my S2000 that makes about two torques and and some horsepower under 8,000 RPM. No, this isn't that. No, this makes meaty torque in the low range. And what's interesting is it makes um, a, a good chunk of uh, a good chunk of power. Uh, it goes up to. Uh, 330 horsepower and 385 pound-feet of torque. 
And that is that I mean, we're talking really reasonable power from a four cylinder and all that torque is in the low end, which makes it because that turbo is going to spool early. It's going to make it feel a lot like the six cylinder. Usually, you know, if you go with the four cylinder turbo option, it's going to be a little peakier, but you can change a lot of the dynamics of an engine based on its uh, turbo configuration and the tuning and stuff. And that is what they are doing. And and I think this this performance tune, uh, it's 850 bucks for the tune, by the way. But um, and also, if you get the automatic transmission variant, it adjusts shift points and other things like that. But why would you get the automatic transmission? The four cylinder is the only one that is offered with the manual and what a cool manual transmission it is it's a seven speed manual you have gears one through six like normal but to the to the left of first gear you've got an extra low crawler gear which is i mean it's an off-roader i mean come on that that's good right we want that so and the thing is that that manual transmission is not offered on the six-cylinder model tragically not offered on the six-cylinder model i should add but the fact is that you can get very near the six-cylinder performance with the four-cylinder with a factory-backed, factory-warranty tune. Now, obviously, I'm a big proponent for modifying cars. Yeah, you can modify it cheaper, probably. Um, but you you get the factory backing with this. And honestly, getting a, a custom tune, at least, if you get like a standard, like an access port or like a, like a Cobb, you know, tuner, and you plug that in and you use one of their pre-built tunes, yeah, that's fine. Costs maybe a little less, but you don't have the factory support. You definitely void the warranty. Um, now, if you were to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and go with a full standalone ECU and a custom tune from a dyno shop and, you know, a good tuner, uh, that, that runs you thousands of dollars. So 850 bucks to get you near V6 performance. Yeah, turbo engines can be really tunable from their stock state because the, they typically come detuned a little bit from the factory and you just got to adjust timing, uh, adjust your fuel map a little bit and adjust boost. Uh, within reason, and you can make a pretty substantial boost in power. Like I was mentioning with naturally aspirated engines is that to make 30 extra horsepower and 60 pound-feet of torque, that's at very least uh, doing a uh, custom exhaust manifold, a header, an intake manifold as well, in addition to maybe a cam. You'd probably get a little more gains out of it, depending on the platform, but Generally speaking, those are ways you can increase airflow, increase air into the engine through the intake manifold, increase the time the valves are open and pulling that air in through the cam, and then getting that out as well through a better exhaust. That's what you have with the naturally aspirated engine outside of changing displacement and doing a stroker. And then at that point, you're taking apart the engine. You're spending thousands of dollars, tons of labor for, again, a realistically small bump in power. Modern, computerized, fuel-injected, small displacement, turbo engines from the factory, very simple to make that 30, 40, 50, maybe even 100 extra horsepower in comparison. Um, and that's what's cool. Now, if I were to spec out a new Bronco, I'm not, but if I were, uh, I would have the four-cylinder one with the manual transmission, because why else would you buy it? Uh, you have to, come on, that manual's too cool to not buy. Uh, and then I would get it in the two-door. Because I feel like the four-door is just kind of chunky, you know, especially if you got this four-cylinder, you got this power, you got the manual, I would rather have the lighter, more nimble one. I can huck it around on the dirt roads and on the trails, get it sideways, have a little more fun, uh, and all around have just a fun car. I I, I would like that. Um, the four-cylinder Bronco would not be a bad option, in my opinion. Also, considering the six-cylinder variants have been having a number of issues uh, in service bulletins and recalls and uh, related to the six-cylinder drivetrain uh, at the moment. 
So though that'll that'll probably get sorted out. So uh, anyway, yeah, there you go. Isn't that cool? I like to see that Ford is doing some factory backed stuff. That is fun. Their performance department clearly likes this sort of thing. Um, also, getting that tune, uh, if you have the manual version, enables um, auto rev matching, which is kind of fun. I prefer doing my own rev matching, but hey, while we're at it, might as well add some more fun stuff into the car there. And uh, no, that's that's good. That is good. I like what Ford's doing in that regard, in that regard. So that's why we will uh, get on to what they're doing. That's kind of weird. Uh, they're doing something else kind of weird. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about a 9,000 RPM Prius that's on the way right here. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep, that was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it for the second segment of the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast and on the radio in Southern Colorado. My name is Matt West, here to talk about cars, and uh, that car sound was courtesy of Aaron. He sent that in earlier. That is his 1995 Nissan 240SX, and uh, it's a little modified, got a different turbo. He says it makes about 320 horsepower. And uh, he was doing some fun donuts, some fun burnouts, all of the above. But you see, those weren't just regular donuts. Those were wedding donuts. Yeah, he took that out for a spin on his wedding day and uh, just destroyed some tires. I mean, yeah, you you seal the deal with the ring, but but you really make it real by, by destroying some tires. I love that. I mean, come on. If you are having a wedding and you're not doing burnouts at some point, either before, during, or after the wedding, are you really having a wedding? Are you really getting married? you got to think about this. I'm just saying. So, uh, yeah, that's what he did. Uh, also, congratulations on uh, on being married. But, uh, yeah, that's that's doing the right thing on a wedding. You could hear, I imagine the folks at the wedding were very uh, enthusiastic with that, too. You could hear the cheering there at the end of that clip. So that's awesome. Aaron, you are entered for a chance to win the Automotive ADHD keychain as well as the sticker and a $25 parts store gift card. And speaking of the keychains, I just got uh, some new ones in. I restocked on them. I have uh, a lot more now than I started with. So uh, that is very cool. I will be shipping these out. And that also brings me to another exciting piece of information for my Patreon subscribers. So if you are a current supporter on Patreon, and, uh, and and you should be if you're not, but if you are, 
Um, I want to I want to thank you for supporting the show uh, as well and kind of give you an extra benefit on being on the Patreon. So if you are a current supporter of the Patreon, um, message me through Patreon, a good mailing address, and I will send you a keychain for free because uh, I want to thank you and you're awesome. And you supporting the show on Patreon makes things like the keychains, the stickers, all of that stuff possible, makes it possible for me to take time and go interview Jimmy Ford at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. You know, I did that over the summer. It was awesome. I couldn't have done it without Patreon. So be a part of that. But but, but before you say, well, I'm not on the Patreon, that doesn't apply to me. If you sign up to the Patreon in the month of October, I'll also send you a keychain. So, you know, just something to think about. Check it out. Patreon subscribers get early access to the show. They also get exclusive posts, a little bit of behind the scenes fun stuff, and exclusive episodes. A couple a uh, couple Patreon-exclusive episodes I have that are up there right now. So uh, you should definitely check that out. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. So uh, very good stuff. Get The the, the keychains are awesome. I, I got them I got them in the mail, by the way. I love how they look. Um, they're, they're embroidered. They're high quality. They're nice. Folks who have already received the last batch of keychains uh, for winning in the Car Sound giveaway, which previously was the only way you could get the keychains, uh, already have said nice things about them. So I am happy with that. Uh, and I'm also working on a store, so you can just you can just buy them as well. Uh, but I have to get the logistics and the uh, website of that sorted out. All in due time. All in due time. It will happen. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about Ford a little bit more. Last segment, I was talking about how they are doing cool stuff with performance tunes for the Bronco and how I like the four-cylinder Bronco with the manual and now the performance tune. That's even better. That's cool. Th- this must be a different department of Ford because... <laughs> this is weird. This is odd. Okay. So, and again, must be a different department, but what they're doing, they are at least pursuing a noble cause. They want to reduce pedestrian injuries and incidents that involve pedestrian crashes, which is a noble cause because, um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, it, it, any pedestrian versus vehicle related incident sucks, especially if you're the pedestrian. That's not fun. You don't want to be there. Uh, and especially with modern trucks, with the, the grills are so tall. SUVs are, are all, you know, big, front, chunky grills. And yeah, that's uh, that's no fun. You don't want to think about it. Now, what Ford is doing, though, that's a noble cause. But what they're doing is how they're going about it. I find a little weird. Um, now, newer Ford vehicles already have a system called Ford Copilot 360, uh, which can, you know, warn the driver uh, when pedestrians step out, bicyclists, scooter riders, uh, motorcyclists, though I, I won't lump you motorcyclists into the same category as pedestrians. That would be rude. You're on a motorcycle. Come on. But uh, but that said, it, it detects all of these things to varying degrees of success, and they want to improve that. Now, the way they want to improve it, improve it is a little suspect to me because they said, aha, here's what we'll do. We will make an app for your smartphone, and if you have that app, then that app will communicate through Bluetooth low energy technology. It is constantly broadcasting, you know, to other devices that have that, it's kind of pinging it out. It'll communicate to cars on the road that you're nearby and it'll alert the uh, Ford Copilot system. Yeah, that's cool and all. The problem is, this is expecting the pedestrians to have the app. And this brings all sorts of issues. Uh, a, what if you're a pedestrian and you you know you don't have the app? You're you're uh, you're walking to you say, hey, I'm gonna go walk to the convenience store, grab a bag of chips, um, and that's that's all you're doing. You're not thinking about, oh, 
before I do, I should download Ford's app. Because it's a Ford app. What if you don't even have a car? I know some people like that exist. Those are those those are those people in the beginning of the show I was talking about with the Uber stuff who take Ubers every day. Yeah, those people. Yeah, they're weird, right? <laughs> but um, but I mean, look, I mean, you might not have a car, so downloading the Ford app might be a little counterintuitive. Also, putting that on there um, is uh, it, it brings up an interesting legal question. Okay. So Ford is no stranger to lawsuits and things like that. Uh, look at the Ford Pinto back in the 70s. Look at the Ford Explorer during the 1980s. And uh, you, you'll see what I mean. That being said, what if, and this is a hypothetical, but what if you're a pedestrian and you get clobbered by an F-150, but you know, you survive, you're okay, you, you recover, you're good. But you want to you want to uh, you want you want to sue Ford. You want to sue the driver of that vehicle uh, for whatever reason, or you sue Ford, or any any person involved. Well, Ford, their their legal team. I just see this as a hypothetical. Their their legal team might say, well, you know, there was actually a way to prevent this. If you had downloaded the Ford app prior to your uh, incident, you would not have actually been involved in that. And so, I don't know if that has any legal weight. I don't know if that has any relevance in that sense, uh, but it's a hey, it's a possibility. Ford might. It, this is one way for them to shift the blame to the pedestrian rather than the driver, um, and that 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 brings up a lot of questions uh, legally and morally. And uh, that again is kind of kind of weird. Now uh, here's another thought: What if you uh, you get clobbered by you, you download the app? You say I'm a I'm a smart pedestrian. I'm going to download the Ford app. And uh, and then then you get clobbered by a Chevy because you didn't have the Chevy app. No, you only had the Ford one. Like, yeah, like, come on. Um, so maybe is there going to be a central app? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe there would be. It's just the, the whole point is, is you shouldn't have the burden of this be on the pedestrian themselves. You should develop your system to better handle pedestrians in different conditions on board on the car. Also, because. You can't expect every pedestrian to download the app. You can't expect every pedestrian to have a smartphone. Um, uh, vast numbers of incidents involving cars, motor vehicles, and pedestrians, unfortunately, happen with homeless people. Uh, a lot of them are are uh, not in the right mind. They're on drugs. They jump out into traffic in the city. A lot of that happens. I'm not sitting in front of statistics with that, but I can just tell you a, a lot of times that happens. Um, I've even had... Uh, someone who is that that has personally happened to me. And in fact, the any of the close calls I've had as a driver have been with very clearly, um, you know, I would say not even homeless people, but really methed out, you know, drug addicts jumping in the road. That's happened to me twice in about six years, but it has happened. And so the point is making the burden of the technology be on. Aha, the pedestrian has the app. The app will communicate to the car. The car won't hit the pedestrian. That's a that's fundamentally flawed. The system needs to be self-contained within the car. End of story. That's just how that has to be. So um, that's what I that's what I think about that. And I think it's weird that Ford's doing this. Um, Volvo also did this as well uh, with a smart bicycle helmet that would. It was a, just a prototype system that would communicate with uh, the Volvo. It would communicate to the smartphone, then to the car. Um, and again. Great idea. The benefit of the smart bicycle helmet is it can at least protect your head when the car does hit you <laughs> at that at that very much uh, at that. It can do that. The smartphone app is not going to do nearly as much for your own health should it fail and you get clobbered by a car. Anyway, the bicycle helmet, at least you got a little 
got a little protection on the dome, you know. You got, got a little bit of cushioning there. Uh, I still wouldn't want to be ran over by a, especially a Volvo. Volvos are tanks. Are you kidding? Gosh. I mean, yeah, sure, they're they're more designed for pedestrian safety these days. But, I mean, being hit, imagine being hit by like a Volvo 240 from the, the 80s or the ni- early 90s. I mean, imagine that. I mean, that would be the equivalent of being run over by like three or four trains simultaneously. I, that would that would really not be good. Um, uh, yeah, that that it, let's not even let's let's not go there. Let's not go there. But uh, the problem with the Volvo Smart Bicycle Helmet, uh, though it is safer than the cell phone itself, which protects doesn't do anything to protect you in a crash. Um, the problem is it still is the burden of the pedestrian. It is the burden of the person most vulnerable here to have spent the money on the expensive smart helmet and also have a smartphone on them. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't, I, I do enjoy cycling. Imagine that I'm a, a car guy and I enjoy cycling, right? But uh, uh, I do, I enjoy mountain biking and stuff. Uh, I don't honestly have my phone with me when I, I cycle sometimes, especially if I'm going for a short ride. I don't like it in my pocket when I'm riding the bicycle. Now, if I'm out on a big mountain biking trip, I got a backpack and I got, I got some other gear and I have it with me. That That's just, hey, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, Ford doing that's a little weird in my opinion. So uh, yeah, plus on the uh, the tunes for the Broncos, uh, minus on the uh, weird pedestrian thing, which I guess levels out to they, they cancel each other out I, and it's just neutral. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you would stack that up. Now, I, I promised I would tell you about the 9,000 RPM uh, Toyota Prius. Now, it's not exactly a Prius. It's maybe a little bit of a, a stretch. Um, in fact, it's smaller and weirder than a Prius. It is a Toyota Echo with, there is Prius in it, it has a Prius engine. So there's a guy in New Zealand, and uh, he goes by the name uh, David Vanderhaas, and he's an avid track enthusiast, and he decided that he wanted to do something to have as a fun backup track car. He already has a different track car, but he wanted something cheap and fun as the backup track car, uh, which I understand that. If you break your track car, you want another track car. Well, you fix the first track car. I'm totally there with you. I get that. Um, and um, so he bought for super cheap a 2005 Toyota Echo, which I guess in the United States it would be more. Let's it would be more like a, a, a Yaris. You know, it's a small, it's a small two door hatchback micro car thing. It is tiny. Uh, I mean, it is smaller than a Prius. And um, and what he did instead of you know the sensible thing like swapping in a. Uh, you know, a legendary Toyota 4A GE or the 3S GTE beams or a 3S uh, G, you know, GTE or something, you know, something I have like an MR2 or whatever. Uh, instead of that, no, he he swapped in. And I, I am familiar with my Toyota engine designations. I know them. I like to think at least that I know them pretty well. Um, and I, I know the meaning behind them and what they designate. They all mean something, you know, be it fuel injected, be it the number of cylinders, be it the, you know, turbo, whatever. Um, this one, this one's a little out there. The the Prius engine from a 2016 Prius. It's called the 1NZ FXE. 1NZ FXE. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily as 2JZ or even 2JZ GTE. It's not, no, it's not the same. But that being said, um, he got it for 400 bucks and he wanted this to be a low buck build. So it he got it for 400 bucks at a junkyard. Prius engine. Bear in mind, the Prius obviously is a hybrid electric drivetrain, but it does have a more conventional gas engine that powers it. And what he did is he took it out, bought another trans, he bought a transmission, a five-speed transmission for 120 bucks from the same junkyard that he got the engine at, and then got a set of wheels for another 120 bucks, got some, dra- uh, not drag slicks, but uh, track slicks, racing slicks for, uh, for really cheap as well, 
uh, used, you know, it's the, someone else's spares. And then he put this whole thing together, put a cam in this with a standalone ECU and ITBs, individual throttle bodies. I love ITBs. As an owner of a car with ITBs, you should own a, I will tell you, if you don't own a car with ITBs, you have to at some point. They're fantastic. Not only do they increase response, not only do you actually get a little bit of a, um, uh, boost in the air velocity going through the velocity stacks. We actually measured that on my car through the barometric pressure. It actually increases with that. It's very subtle. It's it's a subtle, but it's there. Now, the, all these cool reasons, the fact that you can change the runner lengths of the, the trumpets on there to adjust torque and peak power, that's all cool. All of it's irrelevant, though, because they just sound cool. They sound amazing. There's nothing else that sounds like that. I mean, the, the, the intake noise from the throttles is literally louder than the exhaust, and it's fantastic. That's like that's why you do that. So he's got ITBs on this Prius engine. He's got a different aftermarket cam in it. Can you believe that they make aftermarket cams for 2016 Priuses? I didn't even know that was a thing. But it exists, and he has it. And with all of this combined, it does 9,000 RPM. And it was in a Prius. And he's making about 140 horsepower, but that's pretty quick in a little car like that. That car can't weigh more than... 2,100 pounds, if that. Um, that's pretty darn quick, honestly. And, uh, you know, power to weight ratio. It's the good stuff. And uh, here, you know, I could tell you about how cool it sounds, but, you know, this, this is audio. I can actually, I can actually play you. Like, I can, I, can, I can make you listen to it. Here, here, check it out. Here is what that Prius sounds like, uh, that Prius engine. And it's, it's absolutely, yeah, it's cool. Just, just listen to it. That was in a Prius. Like when I see a Prius driving down the road, I don't think that I, I don't think of that sound. I really don't. I swear I don't. I, it really doesn't come to mind. And uh, yet here we are. Can you imagine that? I know that's a that's a Prius. That's was was parts of a Prius. Now, but this is cool though because this could be the new like secret swap. Like, everyone's all gung-ho on K24 swaps. K24, K-Series, Honda K-Series motor swaps have been popular for like a decade now. And they were really cool because they were, you know, ooh, it's a junkyard swap. You get it for a couple hundred bucks. You do a couple things and you put it in your Civic. Hell, you put it in your S2000. I'm thinking about doing that. That might be cool. Um, but, uh, you know, that's cool. But they, they've become so popular that they're not cheap anymore. At least they're not as cheap. They're still, I was looking at K24s on eBay. Uh, and yeah, there's still like 900 bucks for the RBB high compression JDM ones, which that's kind of the one you want. At least that's the closest to the, the one that you want here in the United States market as well. And that's still pretty cheap compared to, you know, you know, other engines, but not, not this cheap. We're not, that's not like $400 cheap. That's not 150 bucks cheap. If you, if you get it like for a flat rate price at a junkyard, we're talking dirt cheap, 9,000 RPM. And no one's saving these Priuses because the battery packs, they get old uh, at that, you know, and it's expensive to replace the battery packs. And so people just junk the cars because the cost to replace the battery pack. Sure, the car's probably got a lot of life left in it, but the cost to replace that battery pack exceeds the market value of the cars. And they just junk it. Whatever. I'll just take it to the junkyard. I'll get a couple hundred bucks for it. No big deal. Um, no one's saving these cars. And those engines are probably pretty lightly used considering that they live in a hybrid powertrain. 
Um, they're not on all the time when the car's driving. They're they're on infrequently. They're 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 on here and there to boost acceleration and uh, for uh, you know to charge up those batteries. So honestly, not a bad idea. Now this guy uh, David in New Zealand did have to make some modifications to the front pulley assembly to mount some accessories because as the engine sits in a Prius, it doesn't actually run. Uh, like an alternator and some other stuff. So we had to build some custom bracketry. He fabbed that up, got it done. Works great. 9,000 RPM in a little like tiny shoe of a car. It looks like a, I, I don't know what to explain what it looks like, but it's tiny and it's screaming and it's really fast and it's hilarious because no one expects it. And then you say, yeah, it's got a Prius engine. Did you know your Prius could sound like this? Uh, you know, I, I want to see someone who does these same mods to a Prius, but still in the Prius, not just the engine, in the actual Prius itself, because that would be pretty cool. Just uh, throwing that out there. So anyway, there you go. This is a cool thing. Um, this is all about grassroots motorsports. This is all about cool stuff like this. Now, this stuff wouldn't be possible um, if the EPA gets their way, by the way. So this is why the RPM Act uh, is so important and uh, you really should uh, listen here to this last segment of the show. We are going to talk a little bit about the RPM Act. What I, I've mentioned it before on the show, but we're going to go more in depth. We're going to talk about how it relates to a uh, famous YouTuber as well. So uh, we'll get to that and more coming up right here on the Automotive ADHD Show. And now for how things work with an engineer. Engines. Speed. And that was How Things Work with an Engineer. For more of How Things Work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. We were in there! Yeah! All right, here we are rocking it for the third half of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West. I'm here to talk about cars. That's what you are here to listen to. Those car sounds were, I would say they were sent in, but but that was a... Uh, those were a little different. That was a friend of the show and his friend of mine, Tierso, drifting around the Pikes Peak International Raceway in his Lexus IS300. I had the fortune to be riding shotgun for that run, and he is a big supporter of the show. And uh, he said that he he said that he wanted a sticker uh, from the show. So he said he wanted a sticker, and uh, I said, "Well, hey, how about how about I give him a sticker?" And maybe also go drifting. That, that, that sounds like a fair deal. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan, right? So that's what I did. I gave him one of the stickers, and uh, we sent it around the uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway at the Slush Motorsports Festival, which was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there was some very skillful driving on his behalf. And I was just clinging on to the, um, the bucket seat, just holding in, trying to not slide around too much. Gosh, that is so much fun. And, uh, yeah, I'm used to going fast around tracks. In cars, I, I'm totally used to that. It doesn't scare me, but drifting um, is entirely different, especially if you're the passenger. I feel like being the driver is one thing. You're in control. You know where the car is going to go. But as a passenger, I mean, you're just kind of, I mean, it's the automotive equivalent of bull riding, really, um, if you're the passenger. Uh, and it's a whole lot of fun, and I love it. And we were, uh, when we were drifting there, we were door-to-door -door with another guy, full tandem. Super cool stuff. Uh, drifting is one of those motorsports that I haven't personally done myself. And, oh man, I, you bet I want to do it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. One, one car at a time, one, one project car at a time, but trust me, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. So, uh, anyway, by the way, if you want to send in your car sounds, 
Uh, you can do that. You don't have to give me a ride around a racetrack drifting. You don't have to. You can. I would encourage you to. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk you out of it. But, or, you know, you could do the rational thing, which is uh, send the car sounds in. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Send your car sounds into the show. Uh, if email is more your thing, you can email them to me as well. Matt at throttlewarrior.com. Check it out. You get entered for a chance to win the sticker, the gift card, the keychain. Uh, and, of course, you get to have your car sounds played right here on the show, on the podcast for the world to hear, and on the radio. Tell your friends. Tell your buddies. Hey, my car was on the show. You should check it out. I love it. I love it. And uh, so that's uh, that's all good stuff there. And uh, now one last thing here I got to hit on, okay, uh, for this last segment of the show is really important. And uh, I, I talked a couple weeks ago about the RPM Act, uh, which is, a, uh, is an act that we need to support as car enthusiasts. Uh, I steer away from politics for the most part on this show, except when necessary. And when those politics involve enthusiast car stuff, they rarely do. But when they do, I think it is our duty to uh, to protect things like modifying cars and motorsports and all of that stuff. That's why you're here, right? Uh, the RPM Act, by the way, is the Recognizing the Protection of Motorsports Act. And um, and it's really important. Now, what's uh, let me give you some context here, uh, because this ties into... Uh, Rich Rebuilds, he's a well-off, well-to-do YouTuber, and he is famous for doing things with Teslas. Uh, and uh, he's, he's famous for doing stuff with Teslas. He did a V8-swapped Tesla project called Ice-T, uh, Ice Internal Combustion Engine T for Tesla, Ice-T. I like it. It's clever, right? So he did a V8-swap, LS-swapped Tesla. That was cool. That was very cool. So now he's trying to one-up himself, and he's doing a Cummins diesel swapped tesla this is cool he took an entire diesel truck uh chassis transmission engine the whole thing basically i believe it was a old uh, uh chevy based diesel truck uh and uh decided to basically just take the whole body off of it the frame off of it and drop a tesla on top of it and that's super cool i like it you know i'm all for creative stuff like this now what's interesting in the world of internet drama that eh, I, don't know, I don't know if people are too into it but he allegedly got a letter from the EPA saying that he was, by doing this, violating the Clean Air Act. And it turns out, as he looked into it, this this letter was a hoax. Someone else sent it to him. He claims to not be the proprietor of the, uh, of the hoax. He says someone else sent this to him. He thought it was legit, so he called up a lawyer, had them look at it, and uh, they said, yeah, this isn't... This isn't real. This isn't the EPA. It's not the real thing. But the reason this is happening is because a couple weeks ago, I also mentioned a story about a gentleman who had his um, Dodge pickup truck with a diesel uh, crushed by the state of New Jersey. And my thoughts on that were, you're just going to have to listen to it. Uh, you're going to have to listen to that that show. I went really in depth on it. I gave you a lot of context, a lot of what I think about that. Now, the short version of that is I don't think the state should be telling you what you can do with a vehicle designed for competition and off-road use. Okay, so that's that's the thing. He had the vehicle, his Dodge pickup. He removed the emission stuff, and um, and so he said, "Okay, I will uh, I will take it off the street." Uh, he received a warning about using it on the street because well, you can't do that. It doesn't have emissions. That's fair. This, that's fair. The state has jurisdiction over its roads, over you know registering vehicles. It has jurisdiction on that. That's no problem. The fact is when he decided to forfeit his registration and only use the truck in tractor pull events and trailer it to the events, which, by the way, happened on private property with other modified vehicles doing the same thing, 
The state said, no, 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 you either fix it or we crush it. That's where I thought the overstep in government there happened. Now, this is becoming, uh, because that because that story was pretty high profile, um, I think somebody sought to, uh, sought to uh, kind of recreate that here or maybe freak out Rich Rebuilds, you know, the, the YouTuber, maybe freak him out. There's a theory that it, you know, he could have done this and staged it. I, I doubt it. He's he's decently upfront with everything that he does, but you know, hey, it's the internet, right? Uh, but uh, but that said, what's interesting is when he got his lawyer, um, and when he when he contacted a lawyer who's familiar with both motorsports and law, uh, and asked about this, the lawyer a told him, yeah, this thing was uh, was fake, and you can't. This doesn't make sense. But also, he had a very interesting interview and discussion with his lawyer, which he posted up on his YouTube channel. And um, it's about a uh, 20-minute interview, and I thought it was actually fascinating seeing the lawyer's opinion. His name's uh, the lawyer, by the way. Great guy. Uh, His name is Alan, and he is uh, also the owner of SQ Motorsports, and they build hot rods and race cars. So he's a lawyer. And he's a car guy, and he races, and that's cool. I love that. That's awesome. So uh, here's a quick thing on this. I'm going to play a very short clip from their interview, though I do encourage you to check out the entire interview. It's it's definitely worth your time to see some more of a legal analysis on governments regulating cars for competition use. And this we'll, we'll get to it here. This ties into the RPM Act, but before we get to the rest of that, here is this. Give this a listen. The EPA wants the ability to ban at the manufacturer level. The EPA okay. wants the ability to go after the manufacturers of performance equipment that interferes with emissions regulations. And as long as race cars are legal, they can't do that. They have to prove, in order to prove a violation, they have to prove that it was used on the highway or it was used in an inappropriate manner. So uh, what he's essentially getting at is that the EPA doesn't like race cars because they they want to regulate these. They want to regulate these things. But by having the clause for race use only, for competition use, for off-road use, you'll see those all kind of interchangeably used. By having that clause, you then have that means it's on the burden of the EPA to prove in a court of law that that vehicle was used unlawfully on the street and not for racing or competition use. Now, if they can say, nope, you can't use it for racing or anything, that means any modification, any modification um, that would tamper with the emission system, that would maybe be a performance modification, that would be, for instance, swapping, doing a motor swap. Um, You know, you would be bound to the emissions regulations of whatever car that motor came out of. You know, it would have to comply to that. And um, and it would it would be a huge nightmare for anyone doing fun grassroots projects, doing grassroots motorsports. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it would be an absolute nightmare to work around that. And it would all but kill if the EPA had this power. All the RPM Act does is limit the EPA's authority to regulate things for competition and off-road use. It has nothing to do with road use. But by preserving the use of competition and stuff, you also preserve all of the uh, laws around uh, manufacturers who have to make the parts, exhaust systems, uh, things like that, making tunes, for instance, uh, doing aftermarket ECUs, wiring harnesses, any of this stuff could fall under the umbrella of the EPA's authority if it's if not for the RPM Act. 
And that's why the RPM Act is super important because the EPA basically says, yeah, racing's fine. You just can't take a road car and modify it for track use, uh, which I argue that's still government overstep because at the end of the day, you own that car, uh, especially if you own it and the bank doesn't, you don't have a lien on it or anything. You own that and you're going to go use it on private property. Um, they, they, that, they, they shouldn't have any say in that, but uh, they shouldn't be allowed to have any say in that. And again, that's what the RPM Act is seeking to prevent. They want to limit the EPA's authority. The EPA says, yeah, racing's fine as long as you have a custom-built race car from the ground up. So custom two-built chassis, uh, everything from the ground up, you have to develop it. Oh, but guess what? You also have to develop the engine. You can't use an engine that was designed for road use inside a road car. That means not only as an enthusiast, like, yes, yeah, some car enthusiasts might have the fabrication knowledge to go build their own uh, tube frame chassis in their own race car. In fact, uh, my friend Wesley Kagan, he was on this show way back in December talking about his uh, Koenigsegg free valve build that he was doing in his garage. Fascinating interview. If you're new to the show and you haven't heard it, that's a good one to listen to. That's a really good one to listen to. Wesley, not only did he build his own Koenigsegg free valve and put it on a Miata, he also built his own tube frame Formula One style uh, race car. Uh, totally from scratch. He designed it, everything, welded it, bent the tubes, designed it all in CAD. I, he even made his own inboard suspension. I mean, super cool stuff. Most guys don't do what he does. And basically, the only way it would be legal is if you did that. You built your own car or you bought a car that was purpose built like that. Um, but then you would also have to develop the engine because you couldn't. Now, Wesley, he took a Mercedes V12 and stuffed it into the back of this, this death trap tube cart thing. And it was awesome, but that wouldn't even be legal because he would have to develop his own engine. Now, de now developing an engine, developing an engine from the ground up, not using, imagine not using any already existing manufactured part from an engine. Um, and uh, imagine that you would have to cast the block. You would have to design it, cast it, do all this stuff. I mean, that is squarely out of the range of the DIY enthusiast. I mean, do you have a engine uh, uh, casting forge in your, in your backyard. I, I, I didn't think so. So if you do, if you do, I want to talk to you. That's awesome. But I doubt it. I doubt it. So anyway, um, basically what you need to do, what I can do, what you can do, anyone can do as an enthusiast. I'm going to continue mentioning this on the show. I may not go as in depth as to occupy an entire segment of the show with this, but uh, I, I'm going to continue mentioning it here on the show that, hey, we need to support the RPM Act, preserve motorsports in the United States. Now, there's a great website I found, by the way, called SaveOurRaceCars.com. Um, and that's really cool because from that website, again, SaveOurRaceCars.com, uh, you can see who your, uh, uh, your congressional representatives are, your state legislators. You can see all of this stuff. And you don't even have to, if you really, if you want to write a letter to them, you can write your own letter. You don't really have to because they have a prepackaged letter that you put together. You just click right on your lawmaker. It's a prepackaged thing. It You put in your zip code. It says who that needs to be sent to. You're like three or four clicks away from just sending that as it is. It would take you 15, 20 seconds if you really tried to get that sent off. At least let the legislators know what we think about this. Because one thing that was also brought up in Rich Rebuild's interview with um, uh, Alan there, the lawyer, uh, was that the con people in Congress uh, aren't really aware of this. This is not center attention for them. There's a world of politics 
that has preoccupied them with other things. And those are all political things we don't talk about on this show. But this is a little footnote like, oh, yeah, I, I heard something about that. Yeah, the race car thing. OK, OK, yeah, whatever. Right. This isn't on their radar. Uh, and even the ones who've heard of it, again, this is not a pressing issue for them. Let's make it a pressing issue for them by letting them know if enough people let them know, well, hey, there you go. That's that's how things get made. That's how laws get made. Uh, and it would be a hell of a lot harder to undo all of this if the if the EPA has their has their way and then we have to undo all of it. That's going to take years. And meanwhile, they're going to be coming down on anyone who even posts, you know, uh, you know, YouTubers, whatever, grassroots guys posting. Yeah, here's my race car. I did a motor swap um, there. They, they, I mean, look, the state of New Jersey uh, in that story I talked about a couple weeks ago with that guy's diesel truck, the state of New Jersey found that truck by scouring Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. That's what they were. They, they were. I mean, clearly they have someone they pay to go on Facebook marketplace and Craigslist and look for stuff that's not compliant and then go crush those vehicles if they don't be, if they don't be uh, if they're not brought into compliance. The fact that they're doing that means they could scale that up. So, um anyway, there's uh there it is for the there it is for the week. The RPM Act, we need to get on this. If you like cars at all, this isn't even if you just like racing. This is this is if you like being able to modify cars at all because bear in mind, if they ban this stuff entirely and you can't do the racing, then you can't also, the manufacturers who make most of their money from doing the racing, who might be selling you your uh, high-flow cat kit that is legal for the street, for your street car, well, they're not going to be making enough money on that to sustain us. This is going to put a lot of people out of business, too. This this is relevant even if you are not in the racing scene yourself and you just want to put some nice wheels on your car, a high-flow cat, maybe uh, you know switch it to run ethanol, which, by the way, is a great environmental decision, in my opinion. Uh, ethanol's fantastic. Um, you know, you, still, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do that if if this uh, if the EPA had their way. So anyway, there you go. That is it for this week's show. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. Uh, and again, exciting news for the Patreon subscribers. Those of you on the Patreon will, uh, if you if you want to, you uh, I need you to send me your address through Patreon, and I can send you uh, a keychain. Though I'm going to uh, that is limited to one keychain. Uh, per person. Also, if you happen to join the Patreon anytime in the month of October, hey, Keychain might be up for grabs. I'm just saying you should check it out. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. And remember to check out my interview last week with uh, Emmy Award winning television producer and director of the last independent automaker documentary series, Joe Ligo. It is a fantastic interview. You really don't want to miss that. So you got to check that out. Now, anyway, I want to thank you for listening. Remember to give this show a rating on Spotify. Six stars. Let's blow it up. Let's make them add a whole new rating just for this show. And I will see you right here, same time, same place next week.